Hello, welcome to another episode of the Hope Motivates Action podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Recknell, and it is my pleasure to have Vince Fowler here today with me. Hello, Vince. Hello, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. We've been kind of chatting off air a little bit, and uh, you have you have quite a story um, of sort of how you got to this place that you are uh, in today, having finished a ultra marathon a week ago. And I know that that wasn't necessarily your destination, um, but it is where you've ended up uh, along the crooked uh, along the crooked journey. And we'd love to hear more about. Um, yeah, how you got to that place and how you use hope to motivate action in your life. So the funny thing is, is I would never identify as a runner. And last Christmas, like leading up to the, you know, the winter last year, uh, somewhere early December, Danita and I, my wife, we were watching the world's toughest race, uh, Eco Challenge in Fiji. It's a 650 kilometer trek through the island of Fiji and the islands around it. It's, it's, uh, I think there were 67 teams. Canada had a number of teams and you know, all like this. I, I didn't really know anything about ultra racers, adventure racers, but this was interesting. So episode one, we're watching these guys take off and it's just absolute mayhem from start throughout the entire episode. I'm like, these people are idiots. These guys are all crazy. Men, women alike, they're just insane. And uh, just in the very first few minutes of the episode, this uh, one team out of the United States, they just come out in a bang and they, they hit the first leg. They, they complete the first leg way ahead of everybody else. They're on, their, they're on, the, on this other island. They're doing their little trek. And the team captain starts to go down as a heat casualty. He's in heat dehydration or heat exhaustion, heat stroke, whatever it is. But he's becoming um, really, really seriously sick. So he ultimately recovers, but in the midst of all this, the lead that this that this U.S. team had created was completely blown up, and um, everyone started passing them. Right. So, uh, no spoiler alerts. I won't tell you if they finish or not, but he did recover, which is good news. So, in that episode, like I said, I'm like, these guys are insane. Who does this? Episode five. I'm registering for an ultra <laughs> like oh, I am insane. oh wow I am one of these people <laughs> like i was watching this one one team and again no spoilers but i'm watching this one team and i'm thinking if they can do it and they literally showed up like they just hey let's do this this weekend kind of thing right do you want to go to west edmonton mall and go down a slide or you want to do an ultra mm, <laughs> let's go to fiji and run an ultra i mean come on so i'm thinking with my military background my athletic background I could do at least as good as them. So I go online and like I start searching ultras and I find this one in, in uh, Lethbridge. It's called the Lost Soul Ultra. A little interesting historical event. 150 some years ago, the Cree Nation and the Blackfoot Nation had a big fight in the Lethbridge Coolies. It's one of the last major um, uh, indigenous nation fights, battles in history on Canadian soil. So there's a lot of lost souls in this valley. And I thought, how appropriate that my very first ultra is the lost soul, uh, because I had felt, you know, uh, this idea of being a lost soul was really, really resonated with me. So I, it was already booked, completely sold out. But if you, you can send an email to the race director and say, hey, if there's, you know, maybe someone's going to sell their bib. And uh, by January 
second or third is when he emailed me and said, we have a bib if you want it. So it was a 50K bib. And I said, yes, right away and thought, okay. I'd already been kind of running only because the gyms had closed. So running was just the only alternative for me. And running was a mental health reason, had nothing to do with fitness. It was just to improve mental health. So when he sent me that list, I was like, yeah, I'm in. I guess I better start taking this seriously. So we can, there's all sorts of crazy that happened after that, but that's how I ended up signing up for an ultra as someone who does not identify as a runner, who would not aspire to be a runner. Best experience I've ever had in athletics in many, many years. So do you, do you identify as a runner now? No. Interesting. Tell me more about that. Glennon Doyle. Mm-hmm. You know this author? Oh, I do. Okay. So she's on, a, she's on a podcast with Adam Grant. Adam Grant, the organizational psychologist who wrote Think Again and um, the originals. and um, Give and take. Give and take. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of respect for Adam Grant's work and I really enjoy his podcast. And she said, the thing with identity is there needs, if, if, as soon as we have an identity, there's a, there's a list of rules. There's a dogma. And there has to be an enemy. According to Glennon, there has to, you know, there's rules, dogma, enemy. And when I first heard that, I thought, holy smokes, I think you might be right. When I was in the military, I identified as a soldier, Canadian soldier, Canadian airborne soldier. There was definitely a list of rules. There was definitely a dogma. And there was an absolute, clear, identifiable enemy. So when I worked for... Uh, I worked for Toshiba and I'd worked for Canon. The enemy was Xerox. The dogma was all around the culture of the organization, but there was a clear and identifiable enemy when I worked with Canon. So so I thought, I'm going to rethink every single identity I have. And um, I have very few identities today. I identify as a father. Um, I identify as a husband. Identify as a man. Um, I identify as a curious person, as a compassionate person, assertive person. That's pretty much it. I don't even identify as a veteran, as that would surprise many people either. So, because what happens when I'm not? Yes, fascinating. So, you brought up Adam Grant in his book, Think Again. Um, and his book really resonated with me because of this true rethinking, right? Not taking everything you know for granted, like identity. I mean, we have grown up, especially as as business professionals, it's part of our leadership training. It's part of our, you know, what do you want to be yeah. when you grow up, right? It's it's a given that we identify as something or as some things. So I love the the approach that you're being really intentional about what it is you identify with. Um, I definitely have to listen to the Glennon Doyle episode of his podcast because she's fascinating to me also. Very. Like, my, because my wife, Danita, she said, so I guess you're a runner now. Or how did she say, uh, you're an ultra runner now, she says to me. I said, nah, I'm just a guy who runs. <laughs> um, and she was looked at me all confused. And I, you know, I've, I've met people who leave the military after 30 years. And their identity is completely fractured mm-hmm. because they're what they were for such a long time. I've seen the same thing in 
policing. I've seen the same thing in fire. I've seen the same thing with education, someone who was a teacher and worked their way up to principal and administrator. Uh, I've seen the same thing in professional sports. Uh, a guy I know after I don't know, 13, 14 years in the NHL, he struggled for about seven years. Who, you know, who am I now? I'm no longer that poster child, um, you know, that hometown hero athlete. Who am I now? And he really struggled. And so I, I really aim towards behavior identification. So curious, compassionate, assertive versus some sort of title or label that's associated, like, for example, a runner or a veteran, um, you know, um, it's because again, what happens if, you know, what happens if I can't, so may as well, I just, I'm a person who's incredibly curious to see how, what I can learn by the further I run, like how far can I go? That's my ultimate motivation. What, how far can I go? Mm, Love it. So interesting. Um, And so, and so relevant, you know, I work and I know you do the same kind of work with um, yeah. People who have been in a role or played a part, so to speak for X amount of years. And then there's a transition, right? Um, Patrick Lencioni will say that change is easy. Transition is hard. So when you've made that transition, when you're not doing that thing anymore, you're not in that role, you're not playing that, that part, um, making that transition to who you are now is very, very hard. What do you say to people to help them with that transition? Uh, who would you be if you didn't know who you were? Whoa. And then what do you say? Cause that's a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, I was, I was driving out to uh, Stewart Creek golf course with a client. Um, and, uh, yeah, just a fascinating guy. And I said, you know, who would you be if you didn't know who you were? Cause he's been many things. He's played rugby. He's been an athlete. He's, uh, he started off flipping properties. Uh, he had a real eye for location. So he would buy the property, um, improve it, sell it. Um, and today he's a custom home builder and builds beautiful, beautiful homes. And, um, so whatever, I mean, whatever I say next is actually, I don't know because until they respond back to that question is my next question. So it, I would just caution anyone who is going to double down on any specific, any specific label. What does it mean to be a blank? Um, identity drives behavior. This is the work of Benjamin Hardy. He's a psychologist out of the U.S., um, this is some of the work of Brene Brown talking about identity. So identity, desire, aspiration, um, you know, uh, also the avoidance of pain will also motivate behavior. But if we talk about future behavior, identity, aspiration, desire, temperament, these all drive behavior. So if we're, if we're looking at our life and we're re-examining where we are in life, where are we, how did we get here and where do we want to go? I realized in this re-examination that where there was some, there was some uncertainty about where I was going and I really had no further where uh, place to look than what, it, what was my future identity. And so re-identifying with a future 
all of a sudden now there's forward progress. When I was a kid, I identified as a future paratrooper. So all my energy and I was 11 years old when I realized what paratroopers were, it's like, I'm going to be that guy. And, um, so it just explained all my behavior. And so there was a time when like forward progress, yes, I wake up every day, but you know, into what? That was in my own mind, a bit of a mystery. Who am I waking up to today? Like, I don't really feel super excited about getting up and going, you know, going to bed and getting up the next day. Now I have this curiosity about, well, how far can I go? Whether it's running, whether it's in business, whether it's in my, my around mountain biking, which is a sport I enjoy as well. Um, so uh, parenting. So have the courage to sit still, re-examine what's the label that we have. What does it mean? What's the dogma that comes with it? And recognize that there's probably an enemy out there of some sort. At least it may be not according to me, but according to society, right? For example, today's the federal election. If, if I say I am a conservative, well, then by default, many people would say the enemy is the liberals, the NDP, the Greens, and vice versa. Pick If I'm a liberal, then the, then the obvious enemy is the conservatives. We listen to the pollsters. Right now, it's a neck and neck. It's a two-party race between the conservatives and the liberals. The enemy of the conservatives is. The enemy of the liberals are. So that doesn't sound like progress to me. We have this pandemic in Canada. And instead of saying who should be in charge, how about we both put our heads together and say, here's the human problem we all want to solve. And while yours, while your necktie is red and mine's blue and or green or you know, whatever, who cares? We have a very real human challenge here. And if we are identified as caring citizens who want to provide opportunity for our nation, then re-examine that, re-examine that identity and, and uh, be careful who people tell you your enemy is. Because that's a very that's a very personal choice as well, right? Or it yeah. should be, right? Because um, if you identify as a compassionate person, as an example, then your enemy is probably not an actual enemy; is probably somebody you want to get to know better, so you can understand where they're coming from. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you're watching F1 racing and you cheer for Mercedes, then the enemy is clearly, clearly Red Bull. Mm-hmm. And if you're McLaren, the enemy is um, is uh, is Ferrari. So like, it, it doesn't matter if you're the flames, your enemy is Vancouver and Edmonton. So be very, very careful with identity. Mm-hmm. It, um, it to, to just let go. I work in the coaching space. I work with impact driven CEOs who want to make an impact in the lives of others. That's what I do. If you need a title, fine. I'm a human performance coach. Um, it, like logistic, like legally on, on uh, documentation, I, I, I will put down, yes, I'm a veteran because that's I'm answering the question. But day-to-day life, I actually don't identify as a veteran as much as I, I identify as someone who experienced the military. Hmm. Very cool. I love that perspective. I have already a lot I'm thinking about in the back of my mind here. Um, some pretty, pretty deep things that I want to think about after we get off the call here. Um, so I know, so your journey to coaching, like, let's talk about your human performance coaching. I know that you didn't, uh, your the 11 year old self did not look into the future and say, Vince, one day you're going to be a human performance coach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I barely graduated high school. Let's be clear. <laughs> so I, I do a seven year career in the military. 
Uh, for all intents and purposes, I think it's been a you know a, pre- a pretty good career. Uh, one deployment to Somalia, I go into I land on my feet in sales, professional sales. So I spend uh, nine years there. I get recruited to work at a private school. So I worked at Edge School for athletes, and I really, really that's where I ultimately fell in love with the uh, the um, the role of coach, helping student athletes move forward in whatever journey they're on, whether it's hockey, soccer, golf, dance, whatever it is. And I really thought I'd died and gone to heaven. I just absolutely loved my job. Uh, 2008, the economy goes in, goes all sideways. And uh, so my job was, was lost. And, and uh, I ended up spending 16 months unemployed. No one, no one, especially me would have ever predicted that. Uh, But I, I ended up in a pretty dark place and probably, about 14 months later, 15 months later, my wife, she's, she puts a piece of paper on the kitchen table. I'd just put my daughter to our daughter to bed. And she's like, we got to talk. I'm thinking that's, that's, uh, that can't be good. She, you know, the paper is ultimately a bunch of numbers. And she says, if, if we're, if you don't have a job in three months, we're, we're bankrupt before Christmas. And this is August. So I found a job. Um, <laughs> I interviewed for a few different places. I ultimately, what I was looking for is not a job, but a life. And a job is a place that we go, no flag to anybody who lives in this space. But I think a job is something that we do in fair trade for compensation. Okay? We just, I just need to pay the mortgage. Will you pay me? What do you need me to do? It's, it's a fair trade. But I wanted a life. Like what was meaningful, impactful for me? What could I contribute to? And so for me, um, I was looking for leadership roles. Again, high school background. No one's jumping at that. The closest I got was Cal Tire. They had a, a leadership um, journey from, but everyone starts in the pit, changing oil, and they work their way up the, the chain of command. But it was, uh, it was a local business coaching firm that called me up and said, hey, we see your resume. We think you'd make a great coach. Uh, for the low price of $75,000 that you pay us, you can be one. I'm like, uh, that's not happening. So they offered me this business development role. I did that. I found new clients for the existing coaches. Um, rough, like a bit of a rocky start. Finally found my groove. Everything went great. Eight months in, they sent me down to uh, the US for a certification through Action Coach. A globally, global organization in coaching and and pretty respected, I would say. So that's where I got my start. And a year and a few months, it was uh, a year and two months after working as a coach within the action coach team, I resigned my position. Uh, The trade-off was I had to pay back my tuition for coaching, but that was okay. I wanted to do my thing. Um, I wanted, I didn't think coaching was so figured out that it was specific to one doctrine like back to, I am an action coach is an identity. And so they certainly have their own rules and dogma. They also have an enemy. And I was just like, this doesn't make sense to me. There's more than one way to coach. And I'd see, because I'd coached a lot of rugby in my life, different ages, different genders. Um, there's always more than one way to, to coach a winning team. So I was, that was a big part of why I wanted to go on my own. And, um, yeah, so I've been on my own ever since September 2012. And by own, I mean, as a, I'm a, there's three of us in our team, my, me, my wife, and I have a, uh, an assistant, which I'd call more of a third, you know, a second brain. 
but the industry is very inviting. The industry is very, uh, I think we take care of each other. The, the ones that are really good at what they do and recognize we can't do this alone. You know, we, we look out for each other. So, so you're never alone, even if you're operating as an independent coach. And that's ultimately how I ended up in coaching. And in the beginning, it was very much the mechanics of business. Um, what I care, like I understand how a car works, the mechanics of it, four cycle engine, transfers energy into the tires and away we go. We make progress, tune the engine. We have faster car versus commuter car, so on. But I'm actually more curious about the driver. How does the driver think and behave during adversity, during um, opportunity, um, competing priorities? That's what I actually really care about. Why, why did the driver do this versus that? So that's where my interest, and I would say the gateway drug book to that was The Brain That Changes Itself. It's a case study after case study on neuroscience. And I just fell head over heel in love with positive psychology, uh, organizational psychology, performance psychology, um, things like that. You know, So that's the short story on how I got to where I'm going. And, and it's been an incredible journey. It's been 10 years as of June this year. Mm. Amazing. I love, I mean, I call it the crooked journey because you never know oh. what the left, you know, what left turns are going to lead to awesome things. And if, uh, if you were to kind of say, well, you know, where am I going to be in 10 years? Maybe you ended up in a, in a place that looked and field kind of like where you wanted to be, which is, you know, helping and supporting people to be their best or whatever. Um, but I imagine that you couldn't have, have pictured what that crooked journey would have looked like to get you where you are. At 11 years old, I knew I'd be a paratrooper. I just knew uh, this is exactly what I'm going to do. You can't change my mind. But if, you know, even in the summer of 2009, if you said, Hey, you're going to be a, a coach making a difference in a, in the world of CEOs, right? My clients have degrees, MBAs, um, I think I had, uh, I don't think I had a PhD client, but I've definitely yet. had conversations yeah. with people yet, but I've definitely had conversations with people who have PhDs and just through conversation, you know, I ask a question and watch their head tilt and go, I never thought of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, but it's a lot of my clients are highly, highly educated and there's, there's obviously formal education out there, which is very important. If you're going to be a doctor, please go to school. <laughs> Uh, if you're going to you know, build houses, please get a legitimate trade. Um, but never underestimate the value of lived experience mm-hmm. and the lessons learned from lived experience, especially not repeated lived experience. Like, you know, we've all been on the racetrack a few times and got nowhere, but uh, the hamster wheel more like, but there's a lot of lived experience that, that we can't buy in a, in a formal education. So I've just doubled down. If if uh, if my if if Vince Fowler is a, a a spot on the roulette wheel, I'm going to Vegas and I put all my chips on Vince Fowler and and um, and just stay curious and ask a thousand questions. Like one of those toddlers. Why? But why? But why now? Yeah. But, but what do you mean? Why? <laughs> what happens if we do this? What happens if we do that? What happens if we don't do this or don't do that? Yeah. There's no like. Coaching is really about timely questions um, that, because, yeah, I don't know what, you know, 
someone's life is their life. Like mm-hmm. my job isn't for them to justify everything they've said or done. It's just tell me how that makes sense. Let's let's talk about that. And that just leads to the next most relevant question. So yeah, that curiosity is really so, so, so powerful. And I think really highly underestimated. Although I do think that it's becoming more mainstream. I have a lot of conversations about curiosity on this on this podcast. And maybe that's slightly uh, biased because I like, I like to have those conversations, but it's definitely sure. my guests are bringing up that language a lot and that idea of rethinking and not just taking everything at face value or... Um, living a life according to somebody else's expectations and, you know, um, or, or making choices because it's how we've always done things or because it's how my parents raised me to do it. You know, it's, it's that thinking for ourselves and, and figuring out, you know, what if, and also kind of giving ourselves permission to be okay with what if there's, and I imagine you have an opinion on this, but, um, often I feel like we get stuck in the, well, I can't do something different because people are going to judge or, you know, what kind of risks can I take that may affect my family, my career, my legacy. Um, But I think we're being braver and asking more of those questions and giving ourselves permission to have more of those conversations, even if we just start having them with ourselves. The, a lot of the what if questions are geared to what if insert undesirable result. You know, what Mm -hmm. if I do this? No one buys it. What if I do this? No one likes me. What if I do this? And, 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 you know, insert negative or insert desired undesirable outcome. But so many people forget to ask, well, what if it does work? Um, Dan Sullivan, who I think is the founder of strategic coach, he has this, uh, framework, um, this reframing called the gain in the gap. Hmm. So here we are, uh, it's, uh, it's mid September and people are, you know, depending on people's calendar year, if they're, if they're calendar year focused, then they're going to get ready for the final quarter of the year. But they look at where they are right now and they say, geez, you know, we just, we're not where we said we'd be by the end of September. They're looking at the gap. What if we look at all the things we have accomplished since January? Reminding ourselves that there was a pandemic, reminding ourselves that there was change in uh, COVID restrictions, reminding ourselves that there was this change and that change, and there's a disruption in the, in the in supply chain. Like none of those things are in our control. So while, because at the beginning of the year, people made goals and targets, which were all arbitrary. Every single one of them was completely arbitrary based on a future prediction, which the brain loves to do and is often wrong. So here we are mid, you know, mid-September looking at, you know, Q3 and thinking, oh, we're not on track. Sometimes we're ahead, sometimes we're behind. But what if, insert ideal like outcome or most likely outcome versus undesirable outcome and focus on the gain versus the gap? I love that. Um, all of these references that you've talked about, all the books that you've talked about and the frameworks and things like that will definitely link to in the show notes because, you know, this is the kind of stuff that I want to look back on and, and, and do a little more digging on for sure. Um, especially some of those books that you talked about. I mean, I read a lot, but there's a lot of those that you mentioned that I haven't read, um, before. Well, I can't even believe it, but we're coming to the end of our time. And the last question that I ask all of my guests is, 
Vince, what gives you hope? Uh, as long as we can breathe and take a step forward, then tomorrow can be different. And this comes from the context of a post-traumatic stress diagnosis that happened in uh, November 2019. And I was in a, you know, first I was in denial. How is that even possible? I mean, I was in the military so long ago. How is that even possible? And there wasn't, like, I, there was, a, I mean, there was a lot of dark conversations in the mind. Um, there's an expression in the military. There's a couple expressions in the military that have served me well. One is pain is only a sign we're still alive. And so to remember that if we feel pain, this is good. Pain is just a sign that we're still alive, physical or emotional pain. Second is the embrace the suck. It is not to say that someone is weak. Come on, embrace the suck, jerk face. Um, don't be a, you know, don't be a wuss. It's to acknowledge that yeah, it's to consciously accept and acknowledge that something hard, something painful is also necessary and unavoidable for forward progress. So there's the lesson is in the suck. We don't learn a tremendous amount through big wins, but we learn a lot in losses. So back to that curiosity and that self-examination and focusing on the gain, not the gap. If we just focus on the gap, I worry that society will, will give up a little bit be less hopeful. And if we look at the progress, whether it's an inch or a mile, I just dated myself there, an inch or a kilometer. I'm 51, no worries. Um, <laughs> but focus on the gain. If we respect the benefit of marginal gains, um, gold medals aren't won, like F1 championships, uh, military operations, are, are, they aren't won by big, giant leaps and bounds. They're won by the, you know, a degree here, a degree there, a point here, a point there. And um, so that's what gives me hope for tomorrow is that, hey, I can still breathe. Um, I can still move. And the idea that I still have a certain amount of control. What a way to end that conversation because so my definition of hope is that the future will be better than today by taking action over the things we can control. And so much of what you've talked about in the last half hour here is about finding those things that we can look forward to, can take action towards, and it doesn't matter how big or small they are, that forward momentum, that progress is very, very hopeful and will get us to that place we don't even know we get the privilege of being at as long as we're breathing, as long as we're, you know, continuing to live, to live our best life with the values and characteristics that we've uh, not identified with, but have uh, intentionally, you know, sort of wrapped our minds around. I yeah, I completely agree. the The piece that really that I figured out for myself was that success in anything. And Bruce Croxon with uh, Round Thirteen Capital, he was on Dragons Den, mm -hmm. he used to own Lava Life. He said, "If you're in business for yourself and you can pay the mortgage and put food on your table, you're successful." You have no idea how successful you are. And I think, um, you know, speaking of control, there's a lot of things we're not in control over. We are already putting ourselves in a position to win just by showing up. Showing up is 51% of the equation. Always. It's always 51% of the equation. So keeping that front of mind is uh, incredibly important.
Amazing. Thank you so, so much for joining us here today. Really, really appreciate it and look forward to continuing the conversation, Vince. Thanks. Thank you. My pleasure. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of the Hope Motivates Action podcast. These episodes are a labor of love. Inspiring conversations with hopeful people make my heart happy. If you also love this episode, it would be amazing if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Five stars if you're into it. It's these reviews that encourage Apple to promote this podcast to their network. And the more people that listen, the more hope we can spread into the world. Don't forget to check out the show notes of this episode to find all the links to my guests, books, and other resources referenced in this episode. You'll also find the link back to my website where you will find additional support and resources for you, your team, and your community. I truly believe that the future will be better than today by taking action over the things we can control. And hearing from these guests on these episodes, I know that even more hopeful future is totally possible. I'm always looking for inspirational guests, so if you or anyone you know would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out. You can find me on the contact form of my website at expertinhope.com or by email at lindsay at expertinhope.com. When I was a teenager and my sisters were leaving the house to go out for the night, I always made it a point to remind them to call me if they need me. It was my way to tell them that I cared and would always be there for them. I'd love you to know the same, so all of you listening out there, call me if you need me. Again, thank you for your love and support of this podcast, my work in hope, and your intentional focus on making your future better than today. After all, hope without action is just a wish. <laughs>